1: All right, guys, well, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today I have Pastor Lutzer Lutzer with me. Uh, Sir, uh, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Um, Can you just tell us about your life, marriage, ministry, and any ministry projects that you're working on?
2: Well, Dave, that's a long story. I was actually born and raised in Canada, and uh, I met my wife when I was at Dallas Seminary. So I married an American. We came here together married back in 1971. Within time, I became an American citizen. I was pastor of Moody Church in Chicago for 36 years. I was born on a farm. There's just no connection between my roots and the privileges that God has given to me. And I attribute those privileges to answered prayer, to the prayers of my parents, to the prayers of my wife. So I'm very grateful. We're gonna be discussing a book today that you will be introducing, but actually throughout time, I've had the privilege of re- writing many books and you're talking about a project. Well, Running to Win, which is our flagship radio program, is in four different languages in 20 different countries and we continue to expand that. So that keeps me busy. Busy along with writing another book that i hope will be out this fall
1: wonderful wonderful we look forward to that as well Uh, guys we're going to be talking today with pastor litzer about his book we will not be silent responding courageously to our culture's assault on christianity if you're watching this on video um, you can see it here right right here on the video Uh, it's a very helpful book sir. Uh, can you uh, tell us a little bit about this book and how uh, how you hope it's being received or is being received or if you have any of that information? Well,
2: first of all, to the glory of God, it is being very well received, much better and much wider in its uh, reception than I could have ever predicted. But the reason I wrote the book is because I began to realize that the radical left in America does not believe that America can really be fixed. It has to be destroyed, that is culturally destroyed and built upon a brand new foundation. And that foundation is of course, a form of Marxism. And then we'll have equality, we'll have the end of racism and everyone will get along happily ever after. Now, Dave, we must understand, oh, by the way one of the things I show in the book Is how Marxism permeates all of the agendas that we have in America today amid this collapsing culture. Now, you must understand that Karl Marx emphasized primarily economics. He was talking about the economic situation and how there should be an overthrow of the landowners, the bourgeoisie, the proletariat, the working class should rise up. And uh, that was his philosophy. And of course, it brought about great devastation in Russia and China. Cultural Marxism says we can achieve the same goals if we attack the culture. So the culture must be destroyed, the family must be destroyed. Marx taught this because there are two groups in the world the oppressed and the oppressors. And so the idea was that you could. The family had to be destroyed because men oppressed their wives, parents oppressed their children, they took them to church and God was the ultimate oppressor, and therefore what is necessary is that the family structure be destroyed, women have to become a part of the workforce, and the state has to raise the children so that they are taught the glories of Marxism rather than Christianity. Now here's what I show in the book, Dave. I show how this philosophy impacts our vilification of history, race, freedom of speech, propaganda, all the way through. And there is this thread that runs through our culture that is being influenced by cultural Marxism.
1: Um, I really like the I really like the book, and um, I I agree with your, with your assessment, because we are living in a, I mean, the last graduating high school, about 20 so years ago, um, growing up in Seattle, I, I saw this pretty much head on where, where we were coming and studied philosophy and, um, as, as well as theology and just saw the the issue where they wanted to silence us. They, they wanted to, um, belittle us you know i was belittled in at a secular university and uh the one of my professors tried to silence me and uh, said if i spoke up that he would send me to the principal's office um so you have to be we we are living in a culture that's even worse 20 years plus years later that they want to silence us they they want to discredit us they want to discredit our arguments and discredit us personally and i just think that's um it's kind of ironic because at the same time, this, this cultural movement, if you will, wants to, says that it values people and, um, you know, wants to have policies that are aimed towards people. So I just, I find the double speak to be um, sort of ironic, if you will, be, being as charitable as possible, of course.
2: Yeah, well, what we need to understand is even the way in which history is taught, America is not perfect. It never will be. Nobody has expected it to be, but our history is being vilified. We all know that uh, racism and, of course, slavery was a horrible evil, but the point is that there's a lot more to America's history than that, and yet that's not the kind of history that is being taught today. It is a very lopsided, emphasizing all of the errors in America without uh, counterbalancing it with all of its goodness, with all of its, with its constitution, with its commitment to freedom. The fact is that if America is destroyed, and we certainly see the seeds of that all over, the impact is going to be huge, not just for us, but for mission work around the world. You go around the world and most of the mission organizations in other countries most of them are being supported by American dollars. So it's so important for people to understand that we must recognize what is going on. And then, you know, you talked about Seattle. Well, that's a horse of a different wheelbase today, of course, a lot of changes have taken place, but I have to emphasize the role even of race. You see, what Marx did is he taught that there were oppressed and there were oppressors. Martin Luther King emphasized that we should judge people not by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. Mm. That today is being rejected mm. in favor of the idea that there have to be two different categories. There have to be oppressed and oppressors. Individualism is downplayed. And there's a reason for that, because Marx himself knew that if you give individuals freedom, they might not fall in line. So what we have to do is to make sure that they don't have freedom so that we are able to impose upon them the equality of the Marxist agenda. So you have critical race theory and critical race theory divides people into categories by the color of their skin And uh, we all know where that leads. It leads to conflict within churches and elsewhere because now suddenly we are no longer one in Christ. We are sort of, but there are those who are to be blamed. There are those who are to be exonerated. And you have all of this instead of the unity that really brings hope, redemption, and true justice. So that's where we are at. And one other comment. I want to make about the impact of Marxism on freedom of speech. Marx taught, and Marcuse, a much more contemporary Marxist who lived in the 60s, he taught that if we give people freedom of speech, the capitalists are going to win the argument because they are the oppressors and they will take advantage of freedom of speech. Therefore, what we must do is to make sure that the oppressors are not allowed to speak, and it's time for the oppressed to speak. Now, that's exactly what is being taught, and that's why conservatives are not allowed in universities oftentimes. It's because they are the oppressors, and oppressors must be quiet. The oppressed can speak freely, and uh, I quote in my book a contemporary writer who says two standards are unapologetically called for. It's time for the oppressors, and he, of course, likens those who believe in free speech to the Ku Klux Klan, et cetera. It's time for them to be silent and for other people to speak. So that's where we are today in our culture.
1: Mm, Yep, that's really good. Yeah, we we're in a cultural moment i think where like the oxford dictionary defines the dictionary word of the year a few years ago as post truth and i think that really summarizes where we're at as a as a culture as post truth post you know just whatever i think whatever i feel whatever i whatever i want to do whenever i want to do it and um like you're saying it's 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 having a tragic effect especially on the education, I think, of our of our children, because they're not really taught the Constitution. Um, they're not taught our, our history. They're not taught our, our values. Um, they're not taught the, the how this country was founded. Um, and it, it's having a has a devastating effect on on the well-rounded education that we should be giving our kids in our public schools, which is why I personally I appreciate um, not everything that DeSantis is doing in Florida, but i I do appreciate especially to your comments about Crt and intersectionality. I appreciate his his stand on that and not allowing it in the schools. I think that that is I wish more governors were were doing that uh, so that kids didn't have to be taught that in in the in the school. And I used to work as a substitute teacher. Um, in idaho, and I just saw I saw many things that even in that con- conservative state uh, concerned me. um so I, I think what you're saying is is spot on just taking in a toward the education of realm and are you asking me a question? <laughs> well, no, I was just commenting on what you were you were saying about uh, you could here I can turn that into a question sure what do, what do you think about that in terms of the uh, the the influence of crt and Um, intersectionality in in the church and, and, and what I was saying about that.
2: Well, let me approach this a little differently, since you mentioned that subject. It's so important for us who are pastors, I'm a pastor emeritus, but pastors, it's so important for us to recognize the importance of politics. I have never endorsed a political candidate, I've never endorsed a political party, but you have highlighted the fact that politics is very important. As a matter of fact, politics is all based on a worldview and DeSantis, whom you referenced, has a different worldview than some of the other governors. And so what we must recognize is that there is no real policy that is made in Washington or anywhere else that, first of all, is not really a moral question. So it's impossible for us to avoid politics. Abortion is a political issue, not only abortion, but same-sex marriage. You have a, a, a whole bunch of issues which are really political, but they're also moral, and education is to be added to that, as we've emphasized. So for pastors to simply say, oh, we're going to only preach the gospel which is wonderful, that's the centrality of our message. The fact is the people in the pew are bumping up against the culture every single day in different ways. So we must be willing to speak to the culture. And that's why I wrote the book, We Will Not Be Silenced, because there are people today in business who are asked to write letters of apology for the color of their skin. And we must understand the philosophy that is behind that. And then what we must do is to draw a line in the sand and say, we can go here, but we refuse to go here. And it's so important for us to help our congregations to do just that.
1: Yeah, that's that's really, really helpful. You know, there, there is so much divisiveness and polarization that many Christians have kept silent for fear of being ridiculed by this toxic culture. What should be the response of Christians to such divisiveness and polarization?
2: Well, first of all, let me say a word about um, propaganda. By the way, those who read the book will discover that that chapter is perhaps the most interesting, sheds a lot of light on our culture. Propaganda, let's remember what it is. Propaganda is intended to shape people's view of reality in such a way That even when presented with a mountain of evidence, they will not change their minds. So I show in that chapter how this is being done, how it is being lived out. In answer to your question, how should Christians live in the midst of this? By the way, one of the longest chapters has to do with socialism. People may wonder, why does a pastor speak about socialism? Well, socialism, of course, brings about the demise of a country. And I point out in that chapter why it is that it pretty soon becomes a paradise for parasites and how you cannot run a socialist country and expect it to make progress and so forth. Because like the caste system, once you're in a certain category, you stay there because after all, everything has to be equal. But back to your question, what Christians have to do is to draw a line in the sand. There are some things we can go along with in the culture. There are some things we cannot go along with in the culture. And so we must draw a line in the sand and say, this I can do, but I can't do that. And then what we must do is to stand firm. And we must get over the idea that if we are ridiculed that this is bad, Jesus predicted that days like this would come. So, what we need is courage. In fact, um, the quote is just coming to mind. I think that Swingley, one of the reformers, he of course lived in Switzerland, said, for God's sake, and he didn't mean it as a swear word, he said, for God's sake, do something courageous. And we're living in an age in which we have to say to people, suffering for truth is good. Truth and love are not opposites. They are not enemies. We must live by both. And we can't become so loving that we simply submit to the culture in whichever way it wants to be submitted to. And yet I see that churches today oftentimes are imbibing the culture.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is uh I, I agree. We we are just kind of even even in there's one prominent pastor and I'm not going to name him, but probably people will know who I'm talking about in, in Texas. And, you know, let's have flags and let's have this entertainment. Let's have the culture come into the church. And uh, what happened to the word being central? What happened to the sacraments? What happened to, you know, the people being uh, having, you know, sound worship and, and those kind of things. And it, um, I think that the, the, and that's just one example where I think that we're seeing the, like you're saying the culture more impacting the, uh, the church than the church speaking and, and being salt and light, uh, we're supposed to be called out. We're called out from the world. So we're called to, to be like Christ. We're called to be countercultural, And, um, so I, I, couldn't agree more with you there. Um, so but, you know, we we've seen uh, censorship become a real big issue, especially in the last you know few years. We've we've watched freedom of speech uh, disappear uh, for many people as big tech companies have actively engaged in censorship. What sh- what should the church's response be to censorship?
2: Well, we should do what we can to continue to proclaim the truth. You know, some of us feel quite powerless, of course. It could be that Twitter is going to be purchased by Elon Musk, and that, of course, would certainly open it up. But at the same time, we have to understand that there are forces out there who are intent on censoring rational opinions, but opinions that do not go against the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times. and. What we must do, Dave, is to say to ourselves, we'll use every means necessary to continue to proclaim the truth. We should support organizations, legal organizations that continue to fight our battles, that continue to insist on freedom. For example, one of the great issues right now is whether or not Christian schools can in any way receive federal funds, and at the same time, hold on to their Christian views of moral issues, sexuality. And we must support those organizations that are standing in the gap saying, you cannot take these freedoms away because there are those who would love to take all freedom away, like a steamroller, like a tsunami coming in and gobbling up everything within the culture because the whole idea of the self having triumphed, the idea is simply this, that you must affirm who I am, and if you don't, you are evil, and you are, quote, doing me harm. So what we need is to make sure that there is no harm done. Therefore, you have to submit to the cultural culture's view of sexuality. And so you have these cultural streams, and there's only one thing we can do, and that is to stand against it with all that we possibly have, and to say that by God's grace, we will not submit. Now, this is huge, Dave, especially for parents whose kids are in the public school. In that book, We Will Not Be Silenced, that we're talking about, I have a section there on what is being taught in Illinois schools. Pornography all kinds of aberrant aberrant forms of sexuality. So parents, you cannot put up with that. Either you must change the system or you must find alternate ways for your child to be educated. Homeschooling might not be an option. Maybe there's a faith-based school. If there is still a public school that teaches decent values, Then, what you have to do is to work with that school, keep educating your children, keep close tabs on what they are being taught, because God is going to hold accountable parents for the education of their children. So, these are issues that can no longer be avoided. And we just need to understand that Christianity insists that we draw that line in the sand and live for Christ no matter the cost
1: yeah, I think that's I think that's really, really good. Um, you say that arguments against free speech are the same ones used by communists during the reign of terror in russia and and uh, Eastern Europe. How so? Well,
2: as I've already implied, how so means that if you have freedom of speech, the oppressors are going to take advantage of it, and the oppressors are the capitalists. So they have to be shut down. Furthermore, There can be, in a true Marxist state, there can be no authority above the state, and therefore you must take what the state says. Pravda means truth. Whatever Pravda says is the truth, even if it isn't true. You know, Booker T. Washington made the statement that a lie doesn't become truth, even if everyone believes it. But nonetheless, you're expected to believe that, And so you look to the state, and they will tell you the truth. There can be no source of truth above the state in a Marxist state. So of course, there cannot be freedom of speech, there cannot be freedom of religion, because everyone has to submit to the equality and to the unity of what the state is all about.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really good. I I think that we're um, I'd be interested to hear what you. have to say in, in the last couple of years, especially, I think we've seen uh, that idea, uh, especially, become more and more prevalent. Where the state is not just you know providing help and being a minister of the of the sword in a Romans thirteen way, but I think that we've seen the state become um, more like more like a a state that especially our government um more more of just like this is the only institution that really matters and they're going to hire everybody and you know what whatever give everybody money and i don't think that that's not what the constitution uh teaches it's not what the constitution was about i think the framers of the constitution the bill of rights would be appalled but what are your what are your thoughts of that
2: yeah what we need to do is to understand that the reason that the state wants to dole out so much money is because they want us to become government dependent. And those who are government dependent are not going to oppose the government. They aren't going to oppose the government because they're cutting off the hand that feeds them. And so the more government dependent we become, the more we are really dependent upon the state, and the greater the state's control. That's the whole point.
1: Hmm. That's really good. You know, we, we've seen uh, gender issues become more and more of an issue today. Uh, why do you believe gender issues are a demarcation point for the church?
2: Well, first of all, the attack against the family and even sexuality is central to Satan's strategy. Certainly, there are people out there who are confused about their gender. We get that genuine confusion. But what you have today is such an emphasis on being transgender that it has become a mark of, uh, of uh, what uh, word shall I use here? It's sort of a mark of uh, distinction. It's something that you want to be because it's cool to be transgender. So you have all these young people suddenly thinking that they are transgender. Now, the reason for that is every young person at some point looks in the mirror and wonders where God was when they were put together. In other words, they don't like their bodies. So somebody says, you don't like your body. It's because you're trans. You're a girl, but you don't like your body. Actually, you're probably a boy. So she wants life-changing surgery to become a boy. This is a horrible, destructive decision. And parents have to step in and say, no, you won't. And they need to say that because the teenager has not thought through the long-term consequences. That means you'll never be a parent. I mean, you may be able to adopt a child, but you can never have a child of your own. So it impacts marriage, means that you can't have a normal marriage. The impact is huge. But furthermore, that does not end the confusion. I could say more about it, but I wanna get to the nub of it. And I think that this is in my book as well. Why is it so right for a person who is gender confused? Why is it so right for them to mutilate their body to fall in line with their self-perception? And why is it so wrong to get their self-perception in line with their body? That's what I'd like to know. Hmm. Furthermore, if, nobody, if somebody never does achieve alignment, it's best for them to lean into their pain, their suffering, suffering of course is the one pain that ends all other pains and they must be content as they lean into god to live that way because the other possibilities are really destructive certainly mutilating the body is not the answer so we need to trust uh, treat this with a great sense of um, compassion because of the confusion, the dysphoria, but at the same time, draw a line in the sand and say, this is an attack against God's creation. It's a fist in his face. Karl Marx, by the way, would be delighted to hear that because he was totally opposed to the created order. He'd be glad to hear about this. So this becomes central because sexuality is central as to who we are as people. He creates them either male or female, and that uh, encases your self-identity, it gives you a sense of self-perception, and that is absolutely critical to how we perceive ourselves to be. So Satan wants to attack that, to confuse it, and to take people down a path that they will uh, later regret.
1: Mm, That's really good. What what would you say to a parent? You know, they they have a child who is, is struggling with um, you know tr- these sort of you know, um, disordered desires. Let's let's just call. It well, that.
2: first and, of all, as I mentioned, there are a very very small percentage, maybe one in a thousand, that actually have that in a genuine way. You know, Bruce Jenner said that at the age of eight, he thought of himself as a girl. So it oftentimes goes back to childhood trauma. Maybe we can't analyze all that, but parents need to say a number of things. One I've already emphasized, namely that the long term effects are huge. You will never have a normal marriage. That, of course, is going to be uh, taken away from you forever so you don't want to mutilate your body. The third thing is to emphasize that a lot of people, 80% of teenagers who think they are trans, end up changing their mind and falling into normal patterns of sexuality. So for many, it is a passing fad. And you cannot ultimately change your gender. Just because we have synthetic hormones, just because we have plastic surgery, it cannot change your chromosomes. It cannot change who you are as a person. So all this needs to be laid out for these young people and to help them see it is better to suffer through a struggle with self-identity than to take a path that is so destructive. Mm,
1: That's really good. You suggest that radical homosexuals have been pushing their will on uh society as much as we'll tolerate what is our best response uh from us as bible believing christians to this
2: well what we have to do of course is be compassionate once again there are those who have same-sex attraction oftentimes it's because they've been inducted into that lifestyle at other times it may be uh you know as early as they remember i've talked to both kinds So we have to be very careful. But what we need to emphasize, as I just said a moment ago, regarding trans young people, they should not enter into same-sex relationships. That'll bring about guilt. It'll bring about a uh, bad kind of bonding. It'll bond them to that lifestyle. It is much better. You know, in the book of Isaiah, and I wish I knew the chapter, Offhand, I think it's in the 60s, 62, something like that. God talks to eunuchs. Eunuchs were those who were unmarried, and Jesus spoke and said, There are some who are born eunuchs. In other words, right from birth, they had no natural sexual attraction. That did not mean that they were homosexuals. But what God said to them is, If you live for me, and I'm paraphrasing, if you live for me and a holy life, I will give you a heritage that is better than sons and daughters. So we must recognize that um, it is much better to live as a single for the glory of God without sexual relationships than to begin a lifestyle which has a very troubling future and a very ultimately unhappy ending.
1: Mm, That's really good. Well, sir, uh, where can people go to find out more about you, either on social media or otherwise?
2: Well, I'd like to emphasize if they want to hear some sermons, hundreds really, free online, they can go to moodymedia.org. That's moodymedia.org. Moodymedia, of course, is all one word. Moodymedia.org. That's different from Moody Church. Moodymedia.org. Now, if they want a copy of We Will Not Be Silenced, they can go to Amazon or ChristianBook.com. ChristianBook.com, ever since the book came out, has been running a great um, discount. They might want to go there, but they can find the book, We Will Not Be Silenced.
1: Hmm. You know, I always say there's a lot that we could talk about. And just as we wrap up, Dr. Pastor Lutzer, uh, can you uh, just give us a few takeaways uh, for our listeners and those who watch this?
2: Yeah, you know, the last chapter of the book that we're talking about, We Will Not Be Silenced, the last chapter is Strengthen What Remains. It's the words of Jesus to the church at Sardis. Sardis was a church that no longer saw the world as an enemy. Jesus said, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Okay. But notice what else Jesus says. He says, but there are still some of you in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Wow. You may even be in a church that has submitted to the culture. But that does not mean that you have to. Even in Sardis, there were faithful Christians. And to all who are listening to this, be a faithful Christian no matter where God has planted you, no matter how countercultural. No matter how counter religious that might be. So take encouragement. Jesus is watching us. He's caring for us and he's giving us the grace to be faithful to him.
1: Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Lutzer, for your time today, guys. Uh, we've been talking today with uh, Pastor Lutzer about his book, We Will Not Be Silenced Responding Courageously to Our Culture's Assault on Christianity. If you're watching the video, here it is for you guys. I encourage you to pick it up on Amazon and Christian books. Pastor Lutzer, thank you so much for...
2: Thank you, Dave. God bless. Thank you.
1: God bless you, too.
0: Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app,